Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, uh, hello guys. Uh, my name is John, or some, <laughs> some of you guys... Some of you guys might know me as John Barry. I know that a lot of you call me that. Um, <laughs> or JB, that's true. That's, a, that's another one too. Um, so for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is John, and I'm on pastoral staff with Chi Alpha. So I went to UVA, and I graduated in 2018. And then in the fall of 20... Yeah, I know, I'm old. I'm old. It's okay. Um, in fall of 2019, I came on pastoral staff. Um, so tonight, I am so excited to finish out our series in the book of Romans. Have you guys learned a lot? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's the point. Um, So it's been really beautiful that we have gotten to get a picture of the gospel laid out. We've gotten to understand a foundation for our faith. Um, We've gotten to understand a foundation of adoption, of what it means that we are adopted as sons and daughters of Jesus. And we've understood our own calling and our character. And we've also... Sarah preached a wonderful message on what it means that we are the family of God. So this week we're going to get a little object lesson in what it means to be the family of God. But first we're going to play a little game. You guys ready for a game? Okay, this is another one of those like cheering games. So I know that hopefully you guys' vocal cords aren't too, too uh, worn out from cheering for all of the sweater competitions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up, or we're going to put up an image on the screen and then you're going to vote by screaming for one or the other. Generally, there's two options. There's one that has a few more than two options. So we're going to put it up, and then what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to scream for one, scream for the other. So the first one we're going to do is going to be a little test. It's, a little, it's pretty easy. So we're going to put up an image of beaches or mountains. So, okay, okay, okay. You guys got it. So cheer. Let me hear it from mountains. Yeah! Okay, okay, okay. Let, I mean, we're close to the mountains. That's a good thing. Let me hear it for the beaches. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Wow, okay, you guys got the point of this. Okay, so we're going to do some stuff that's a little more contentious. You guys ready? Okay, me and Daniel Keith have fought many a days about this one. Mo- oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, let me hear it for Moe's. Wow. Let me hear it for Chipotle. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm going to pull it every time on that one. Okay. Okay. Um, so this, this next one's called, what do you call it? What do you call it? Uh, let's hear it for football. Okay. Okay. Let's hear it for soccer. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Okay, guys, we're going to get real. This is, this is where it gets real. Okay. You ready for this one? There's four options for this one. Oh, okay, okay. Let's hear it for the NIV. Yeah, yeah, I'm going get some love. Let's hear it for the New Lit Translation. Okay, a little lower. Let's hear it for the ESV. Wow, wow. Okay, okay, and this is, this is it, this is it. The King James. Okay, okay, I'm going to be real. King James just got a lot more love than it might have for the last, like, hundred years or so. <laughs> That's so good. Okay. This is the last one. 
Silas might have, have a little bit of a, I don't know where he's at, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how he, he reacts to this one. Next one is mustache or no mustache. <laughs> so this isn't on him. This isn't on Miles Teller. This is, this is on anybody. Okay, okay, okay. I know there's a distinction. I know there's a distinction. So let's hear it for mustaches. Okay, let's hear it for no mustaches. Guys, I'm going to be honest. I think the pitch was a little bit higher on the, mustache, on the no mustaches one. I think this might be a, a little bit gendered here. <laughs> oh, man. Wow, yeah. So, so obviously we've got some disagreement in this room, right? So we've got some disagreement. We've got some, we got some things to work through. <laughs> so that's all well and good, right? When it's, when it's about mustaches or when it's even about um, things like beaches or the mountains. But obviously there are things that we disagree about that have a little more weight to them. I'm sure that some of you guys feel this and you can have conversations that might be running through your mind right now. Um, Maybe it's a conversation about when you were home and you realized something that you disagreed with about how you were brought up with your parents. Maybe it's a political conversation that immediately, that goes south quick um, with somebody that you care about. So ultimately, sometimes we have conversations and disagreements and sometimes they look more like arguments and it could, that can even bleed into our faith in so many different ways. See, there are so many different styles of worship that we might engage in, the different theologies, different versions of the Bible. And so what happens when we disagree as the church? I want to read a quote that I think frames this pretty well. And it's this. We believe that the greatest threat to the church today is the same as it has been for every generation since the New Testament was written. Quarreling. Persecution strengthens the church. Intellectual and cultural challenges deepen our faith and stimulate our theological thinking. Ethical commitments that conflict with the culture make us stand out as salt and light, or at times may provoke us to purify our own lives and become better salt and light. Quarreling, on the other hand, is insidiously dangerous because it kills from within. Guys, I think if we're not careful, obviously, like there's... There's moments where we can disagree and it's lighthearted, it's easy, but there's moments when, if we're not careful, I think we can see friendships end, we can see churches divided, and we as a community can be divided. But there's good news in this, that honestly we're not the first ones around the block when it comes to disagreement. Um, so the, the passage that we are going to go into tonight was dealing with a lot of these same things that we can see in our own church Uh, So will you guys turn with me to Romans 14? So Paul is writing to a group of people that are wildly different from each other. They come from very different cultures, and and really it is Jesus that has united them. That they have all decided to follow Jesus, and this, this church has come together even though they're coming from very different cultural backgrounds. Um, and their c- cultural backgrounds have shaped their opinions, that shaped their, the way that they even practice their faith. And so we're going to see a little bit about how Paul responds when the church that he is writing to disagrees. So again, we're going to be in Romans 14. So I'm going to read the first few verses. And it says this. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. 
One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So right out the gate, we see that there's disagreement. There's quarreling in the church. And it's like, it's like not even about just the really foundational, important things that we, need, that, that we need to iron out, but they're quarreling over disputable matters. And so right here, we, like, we see that there's, some, there's something obviously about food where there's people who are, feel the freedom to eat meat and they are showing contempt for the people who don't feel the freedom to eat meat and then there are people who are like, yeah, we, we don't eat any meat and then they're judging the ones who do eat meat. So obviously this, this sounds a little bit confusing. And so let's take a look a little bit at what the context was that Paul was writing in. So for several years at this point, um, in the Church of Rome, uh, for several years before the book was written, the Church of Rome had people coming from a Jewish background and people coming from a Gentile background. Um, but then there came a moment when an emperor exiled all of the Jews. And all of a sudden, the church in Rome became essentially entirely Gentile. Um, so it was all people coming from a, m- a more similar background. And then that, that uh, emperor dies. And when that emperor dies, the, um, all of the Jewish people are actually able to return to Rome. And so obviously, like, this has been a church that has been dominated by Gentiles this whole time. The leadership is Gentile. It's majority Gentile. And these people are coming from very different cultural backgrounds. And so this is when they start to, to have these issues. And a lot of it arises because, okay, both of, all of these people have submitted their lives as Jesus. They've begun to follow Jesus. And when they follow Jesus, they realize that the only thing that is going to make them right before God is Jesus and what Jesus has done. And that's so much of what we've been learning about in Romans. So the people coming from the Gentile background, they're like, okay, this is great. Um, and and there's, there's a lot of things that they need to change in their life, but there weren't a lot of restrictions on their dietary habits. The people coming from the Jewish background, on the other hand, many of them were coming out of a, a strict Jewish law the, and a Mosaic law that required certain dietary restrictions. So essentially it's kosher. They were, they were required to eat kosher. And so when we look at this, they're, they're the same way as the Gentiles. They're coming to the faith and they're recognizing that, that ultimately it is only Jesus that is going to make them clean before the Father. But you've got to imagine that like thousands of years of doing these, these cultural practices are probably not going to go away overnight. And so a lot of them still obeyed the kosher laws. And so when they went into the markets, they, were, they, were trying, they would avoid all meat because they didn't know whether it was processed in the way that they considered right. Um, so this is, where, this is where this context comes out of, is you have these, the, these Jewish believers, and they were not eating any meat. They were refraining from it because of the culture that they came from. And then they were judging the people who did eat meat. And then these Gentile believers were eating whatever they wanted, and then they were showing contempt for the people who didn't eat meat. That sounds like quite a quarrel, honestly. So let's see how Paul responds in this. Let's continue in verse 4 through 9. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. 
One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so for the Lord, for they give thanks to God. For none of us live for ourselves alone, and none of us die for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned so that he might be the Lord of the dead and the living. So a lot of what we've been going over in Romans is talking about what it means to be the people of God. What does it mean that, that when, we, when we come to Jesus, that, that when we decide to follow Jesus, we live a life of commitment to Jesus? But, but more than that, we don't just live a life of commitment to him. We live a life of surrender to him. That, that, and Paul is pointing us back to those things. I think when he, in verse 8, he says, um, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. He's pointing us back to that reality that ultimately when we come to Jesus, we're surrendered to Jesus. And we have to be people that, that live that life of surrender, that we are, we are dead to sin and we are alive to God. And so then when you come, when you come to the, this passage in this conflict, he's saying, okay, so there are these things that, that you need to be surrendered. You need to live a life of surrender. But even when you're living a life of surrender, there are going to be things that, that it's not going to look the same for every believer. Um, I think there's a quote that I really like, or it's just a little phrase, and I think it kind of puts this in perspective of the idea of we need more altering. We need to be people that, that are regularly living that life of surrender to God and putting our life on the altar, but we need to maybe do a little less altering sometimes. <laughs> that, that it's, we need to be people who are looking to be surrendered and then making sure that the people in our community are surrendered to the Lord. But then ultimately, there are other things that we don't need to like feel like we have to alter about other people. You guys know what I love about salt? I think it gives us a moment to like come to this. Okay, so like we roll up and we're UVA. And so like, like all you guys are real smart, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting some so-sos. But you guys are all really smart. And so what happens is we normally roll into salt. And we might roll up and kind of sit in the back row. And we all pull out our journals because every one of you guys has one. I know that. And we all pull out our journals. And as soon as the speakers start speaking, we're just like writing like crazy. We're just, we're just writing like crazy. And, it's, and like, we're like, yeah, like I'm, I'm so excited to learn. And then people come from other schools and they go straight up to the front and like literally before the worship song starts, they're out of their seat jumping. Like, and I, I, like, I think that that is like a picture of what the gospel is like sometimes. Just this reality that, that we, it doesn't always look exactly the same how we, how we express our love to Jesus. Um, and there's a quote that I really love that illustrates this and it's from St. Augustine and it says this, in the essentials, unity in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. See, there are so many things that we as Christians need to unite around. And that's that idea of the essentials, the, the things that we need unity on as Christians. I think some of the, the initial things that come to my mind are, are things like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the authority of the scriptures, the, the fact that we are made in the image of God. 
See, these are things that we see from Scripture that, that have always been held by the historic Christian faith, and they've, they've always been things that, that people have united around as Christians. But then I think Augustine is also giving us the freedom, and I think this passage that Paul is in is also giving us the freedom that in the things that aren't essential, in the things that aren't essential to the historic Christian faith, that there can be liberty, that there, there can be freedom, that the, the ways that we express our culture in our faith can look different, the way that we express certain aspects of our belief can look different. I think a frame for me that I really like to use is the idea of, like, on these things that are essentials that we should have unity in, they're, they're closed-handed. They're things that, if we were to open our hands on them, then it would mean that we're embracing something other than, than what, what has historically been held to by followers of Jesus. But then on the issues of liberty, on the things that we do have freedom in, like, and I, honestly, even some examples of that would be like, I don't know, like how, exactly how you worship or people's views on Calvinism or Arminianism or, or some of those things that aren't quite as clear when we come to Scripture. And those things can be open-handed. It's this idea that when we come to them, we can be people who are submitted to Jesus, that have surrendered to Jesus, and yet hold different perspectives on. So I think sometimes it's a little bit hard to understand exactly what are the essential things, what are the non-essential things. Um, And so I'm going to put up a chart, and I think it walks us through a little bit of a helpful paradigm for how we can kind of understand what are some of the essential things of Christianity and what are some of the things that we have liberty on. Um, So the first piece is core beliefs. Again, these are those central pieces of the Christian faith that when we look at Scripture, we have a lot of clarity on. Um, Again, I think it would be things like being made in the image of God. It would be the reality that that Jesus was fully man and, and fully God. And then when we look at Scripture, there are going to be clear implications of those core beliefs. And so this is, how a, this is going to be um, how those core beliefs are played out on a basic level. And, so, and then after that, we have expressions. And this is the idea that, that um, when we have a core belief and that we have the implications, then there's going to be different ways that we express that. And so let's take a, a look at an example to get a little bit of clarity on this. Um, so let's think about the idea of the fact that we are made in the image of God. Um, this comes right out of the first bits of Scripture that we are, we are, as people, are made in the image of God. And so the implication of that is that human life matters. Um, but there's going to be different expressions of that. So maybe some would say, okay, that means that if human life matters, that means that like, I want to pursue pacifism. I, I don't believe that there should ever be a moment when we take a human life. But then others might land on the other side of it where they say, there are moments when in order to protect human life, to protect the dignity of human life, force is needed. And so obviously that's a pretty consequential thing, but it is a place that scripture isn't entirely clear on. And so I think that it's beautiful that in the expressions we have liberty, in the non-essentials we have liberty. Guys, that's good news. Like I, I hope that that, I hope that that is comforting for some of you guys that that if we can unite around the, the core beliefs of what it means to follow Jesus, that there are also places where you can express that differently. So we have liberty as Christians. But I don't think Paul ends it there. Well, he doesn't end it there because he keeps going in the chapter. <laughs> and so let's continue 
in verse 13 of Romans 14. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Look, you have freedom in your expressions, and so stop passing judgment on how people express this differently if you guys are united on those core things. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Make up your mind that we won't put any obstacle in front of a brother or sister. See, if, and then he continues in verse 14, and he says, I'm convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. See, if we are people who are listening to the Spirit, we're, we're going to have that unity on the essential issues. And then we're going to have the liberty in the other issues. But that doesn't mean that the Spirit is always going to tell us exactly the same thing in that. So as you're searching out Scripture, as you're listening to the Spirit, as you're praying, as you're listening to, to wise people around you, there are going to be expressions of that that look different. And we need to be people that are submitted to the Spirit. And then when the Spirit speaks, we should listen. Like, that's a good thing to do. And so there are going to be moments where you feel the Spirit leading you through Scripture, through wise counsel, through other people, that maybe you're not supposed to watch a certain TV show. And if he tells you not to do it, then probably don't do it. (laughs) Not probably, actually, just don't do it. (laughs) But then there might be other people who hold to the same faith that you do that are equally submitted to Jesus. And for them, that that TV show is okay. And then we don't, and then we got to withhold judgment for the people that do something a little bit differently on those fronts, on those fronts. And so I want to clarify something that I, I think Sarah, and Sarah mentioned this last week, but it's this idea that there are moments when we do have to confront each other. There's moments when sin is sin, um, and that's a moment when we have to come to each other and we, in, in care, we confront that person. So Sarah often, or Sarah referred to it as care fronting. I love that term. It's great because I think it shows the heart of it but it also shows that there's moments where we got to have conflict as the body of Christ. And so there are moments when somebody has a core belief or has an issue of sin and, and that has to be carefronted. But that's not what this is talking about right here. This is talking about that there are moments when the Spirit leads us to different conclusions and that's okay. See, our liberties are a beautiful piece of the gospel. But I think what Paul gets to next is really what is at the heart of his message. So let's read verses 15 through 18. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. That's intense, right? (laughs) Therefore, do not let what you know to be good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. See, guys, it's a beautiful thing that we have liberties, but our liberties are not worth our love for one another. I think the wording that Paul even uses in this is compelling. If a brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Like Christ died for that person. Are we really going to put up an obstacle to them? Or are we really going to put something in their way that, that makes them stumble? 
That's not what the kingdom is about. It's not about the disputable matters. If you, if TikTok is making a brother or sister stumble, delete it. If, let's go. I got some sense on that one. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. No, if, if the movies you're watching are making a brother or sister stumble, don't watch them. If the political affiliations you hold are causing a brother or sister to stumble, maybe watch a little less news and like go pray with them or something. <laughs> like ultimately it is not, our liberties are not worth our love. And so even when we have the freedom to do something, that doesn't mean that it's actually the best thing to do. Guys, can I say I know this is hard? <laughs> I remember living in Sigma Cool. Any, any Sigma Cool guys? You got a few shout outs. <laughs> That's good. Um, and it was, overall, it was like great. I loved it. I had so many close friendships in that house and so many moments where we were pointing each other to Jesus and it was really wonderful. But I think there was also moments of tension. Um, and I think one, I just remember back to my third year when we started living there. And third year is obviously when a lot of people start turning 21 and a lot of people start having to figure out what does my relationship to alcohol look like? And so a lot of the guys in my house were on this front. Like, I, I think that they were, when they were engaging in alcohol, they were doing it in moderation after they turned 21. And, and in general, I think they had relatively good relationships to it. But can I tell you that as somebody who was one of the last people to turn 21, it was a really strange year. Because I was looking at all my friends navigating these waters. And ultimately, I didn't know what my relationship with, to alcohol was going to be. And I think, that, I think that that was one of those places that as I started to bring those things to my house, it started to be a realization for them that, that you know what, maybe I have the freedom to, to drink responsibly, to drink in moderation. But ultimately, that freedom isn't worth the, the stumbling block that it can put in front of a brother or sister. And the most loving thing to do is just say, you know what, it's not worth it. Our liberties aren't worth our love for one another. So at this point, you might be wondering what this looks like in your life, life's lives, wow, um, or in our community that we're in right now. And can I tell you that I think, I think Paul kind of concludes this in a really helpful way in verse 19 and 20. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Make every effort do at least a peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. It's not worth it. <laughs> and can I tell you, one of the, I think that we really can cultivate a community that, that puts our love over our liberty. And I think the first way to do that is just to like really work to have a loving community. What does it mean that that I think that this will be a much easier thing to do if we are people that can unite around the essentials, that we can share our testimonies, that we can pray together, we can say that ultimately that there are so many things that unite us about following Jesus. We can eat meals together. I think that's like a really easy way to like get to love somebody. It's just to eat meals together. And when we root ourselves in the love of Jesus, it can pull us together. And I think like the beautiful irony about that is that if we can put our love before our liberties, then I think we'll probably actually have better conversations about those secondary things, about those non-essential issues. 
if I've already determined to love my brother or sister, then it's probably going to be way easier to disagree about those secondary theological issues. If I can already determine to love my brother or sister, it can probably be a lot easier to understand their political affiliation and then actually have an understanding relationship in that. If we can understand to love one another, then when a movie night rolls around, we'll probably be conscious of the fact that, that there are certain things that some people in there can't watch. Our liberty is not worth our love for one another. So the worship team can come back up. Ever since I found out I was going to be talking on this passage, I just had John 17 running through my head. And in John 17, um, verses 20 and 21, it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. All of them, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is Jesus talking to God the Father. Right before he is about to be crucified. And he's looking at his disciples and he's saying, Let them be one just as I am one with you. Guys, that's crazy. Jesus was literally part of the Trinity. Like, I don't think you can get more unified than God the Father and God the Son and God, and God the Holy Spirit. But it was his prayer for us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. See, I think this is a, a beautiful piece of the, what it means to be the family of God is that that Jesus prayed unity over us, and I think that we can have unity among us. See, and the beauty of this is it doesn't look the same for everybody. Um, and I think that's part of what the beauty of the diversity of the kingdom of God is. And you know what? Okay, this is a little bit of an aside, but like, honestly, some of the people that I've had the most conflict with are actually some of the people that I think I've ended up having the deepest relationship with. Because I think we've had to actually come to a place of reckoning with these things and saying, what are the, what is the essentials? What are the things that, that we can really come together and unite over? Some of you guys are literally probably thinking of people next to you <laughs> or people in your houses that, that when we can learn what it means to be unified on the essentials and have liberty and put love over our liberties, then I think we can really learn what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. I want to end with a scripture. And the scripture comes out of Psalm 133. And it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live in, together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. You guys want to read that with me? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. As I was talking with a friend about this a few weeks ago, I think he pointed to me, pointed me to this idea of what does that last line mean? That there he bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I think it just pointed me to an image of heaven 
Sarah talked about this last week, but this idea that, that when we look at heaven, we see every culture represented, every language represented. We see people who are wildly different, even from literal different generations. And yet they're unified. And I think that that unity that they have, we get so many glimpses of that here. And I think our liberties are one of those glimpses of the the diversity that we're going to have in heaven. But ultimately, I think the thing that's going to keep us together in heaven is the love that we have for one another because of Jesus Christ. And so I think the thing that is going to keep us unified here is the love that we have for one another because of the love of Jesus Christ. So we're going to take just a minute and, and we're going to have a moment where I want you to, to start thinking, are there people that you feel like you've been disunified with? Are there people that, that you have fellowship with because you're followers of Jesus, but then you recognize that there are places where you disagree and it has really created disunity? Or places where you place a stumbling block in front of somebody else, where, where you've placed an obstacle to somebody's faith? I want you to think of that person and I want you to write them down. If they're sitting next to you, you don't have to write them down. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe do it later. <laughs> but I want you to do two things. I want you to resolve, make up your mind, as Paul says, that you're not going to put an obstacle in front of them. And some that might require a conversation saying, I, I feel like I have not lived helpfully in front of you. And that might mean having conversations with your core groups, having conversations with your houses of ways that that has, that you've put an obstacle in their faith. And then the second thing, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is honestly just resolve to pray blessings over them. I think one of the easiest ways to solve disunity, at least in my own heart, is often when I pray blessings over people, when I intercede for them. It gets a little bit harder to, to live in that disunity. It gets a little bit easier for, to, for me to love them and not, not just seek my own liberties. So we're going to take a moment to do that. Um, and then we're going to come back and close. I'm excited to hear some of the fruit that's going to come out of that. Guys, I really think we can be that kind of unified community. So I'd love to pray over you guys, pray that that unity over you guys. Will you guys stand? And we're going to do something. So if you guys are comfortable with it, I want you guys actually to, to link up in some way. So whether it's, it's be arm in arm or, or hold hands. And we're going to do this across the aisles. So if you're comfortable with it, Let's do it. <laughs> Aw, this is so good. <laughs> Guys, that laughter is a good sound. Can I say that? That's a good sound. That's probably a little what unity sounds like. 
Well, I would love to pray over you guys. Jesus, I thank you so much that you, you came to this earth and Lord, you, you actually had a group of people that you were around, Lord, that, that you looked at them and you said, I want unity for them, but Jesus, I don't just want unity for them. I want unity for every single person that will follow after them. And so Jesus, I pray that over this room, Lord. I pray that, that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would come over the people that, that might have a moment of repentance that is needed, Lord, where they say, I have put, some, I've put one of the liberties that I have in the faith in front of my love for my brother or sister, Jesus. And, and then, Lord, I pray that as those things happen, they would begin to experience a unity that, they, that is almost unimaginable, Lord, a unity that they have not experienced in their life before this, Lord. Jesus, I pray that over core groups. I pray that over houses, that they would be one. Jesus, as you were one with the Father. And Jesus, we thank you that we get to pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together in one voice. We give the Lord a hand clap as we close out. Mr. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. You've brought us through. You've brought us through. Lord, I pray for each student here as they go through finals, that you would anoint them for finals, that they would be burnt offerings in their studies of acts of worship to you. Lord, I pray for the times of community before they go home. I pray that they would be rich, that they would love each other more than their own liberties. Lord, I pray for their times at home that they would be blessed and restorative and refreshing and renewing and you would bless their time with the people they will be with, Lord. I pray your hand to rest upon each of them over break, that they would know your goodness, that you are Emmanuel, God with us, and that there is no one who's worthy of our worship other than you. So, Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, for your glory and our good. Amen. Let me give the benediction. Before I give the benediction, there's three things we're going to do afterwards, okay? One, we're going to roll hub if you want. If you got time. Here's a roll hub, okay. Number two, there's, there's pictures to be taken back there. So, you know, grab your good-looking core group and go back there and get a picture taken. And then three, there's salt registration out there, too. Ah! Oh! Yes, he said, I said it. Okay, so salt registration. So there's three things we got going. But for the benediction as we close out the semester, isn't it good that we know the foundation we live on over this semester break? The foundation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace through finals and all the way through break. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a wonderful break following Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 